We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report podcast. Training camp is officially a week old, and the countdown continues until week one when the Chicago Bears will go to Detroit to take on the Lions uh, just over two weeks. It's hard to believe that we're just two weeks away from the start of the NFL season. I'm your host, as always, Zach Pearson. This week, I am not joined by Aaron Lemming. I am joined instead by fellow Bears writer, or Bear Report writer, does cover the Bears for the Bear Report, Andrew Freeman. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me, man. Yeah, definitely. You know, you mentioned it. We're only about two weeks away from the season and, uh, you know, going through all this entire offseason. It just it's incredible that to think about that we're almost there. You know, football season is right around the corner, even though it doesn't feel like that. But, uh, yeah, really excited for uh, that to get started. Yeah, it's it's weird, man, because like this offseason has just been so different. And it's like, I'm not even used to the whole training camp thing either, because it's like it's training camp, but it's not. It's essentially just practices at House Hall that are being, you know, uh, treated as closed. And you know, the Bears are kind of running out of time. And there's some couple big position battles that still need to be settled. And you know, they're just trying to find reps as much as they can. And when you have kind of like what happened on Sunday with the whole COVID-19 scare, and then earlier today on Tuesday with the lightning delay, it's like anything like that happens and you're losing reps. Uh, and with literally under just about two weeks away, I mean, those reps are pretty valuable. But like you said, man, I'm excited for football season. I'm pretty sure you're excited for football season as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've 
I've been slowly losing my mind, it seems like, over, you know, when, when the sports went away for when they did earlier in the spring and then over, over early in the, in the summer. Then you get into baseball season and basketball comes back and starting to get, to get in the groove again with sports being back. And, and you know, there's nothing like football season. So I, I'm just ready for that to get rolling here. And, you know, like you said, it feels odd with, first of all, training camp is going to be different anyway with it not being at Bourbon A anymore, anymore. And then, you know, with the pandemic going on, obviously fans not being at training camp, that's a, a big difference between previous years. And uh, it's going to be odd because with no preseason, we don't have a chance of actually, you know, you've had a chance to see them on the field, obviously, at practices and stuff. But, you know, for many of the fans, they haven't had a chance to actually see these guys live. So that's something that I'm really looking forward to seeing because we hear all the reports coming from camp and of how these guys are looking and how the quarter competition is and some of these other position battles. But it'll be really interesting to see once they actually put the pads on, on Sundays, um, how it all goes together. And that's probably the most exciting thing for me. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, looking at training camp is, is a different beast in the preseason. The preseason, you know, you get to see the guys hitting and they're actually playing games. And, like, training camp and these practices, it's like they're not really tackling. Um, the, the defensive line isn't getting, you know, full pressure. I mean, they're getting pressure, but it's not like they're going 100% full speed. Um, the quarterbacks are facing a little pressure. The running game is facing a little pressure, but – it's just not the same as the preseason and it hurts the players. Like it doesn't not only hurts the competition that's going on at the various positions, but it hurts those players at the bottom of the roster that are, you know, maybe their numbers 54 to 60. They're, they're right on the fringe for a roster spot, but yeah, a couple more weeks before we settle this all out. And uh, we have a big show for you today. We're going to talk about the latest on bears training camp. I'm going to get Andrew's thoughts on kind of, um, who he wants to start at quarterback, as well as some other things on the Bears. We'll get to all that um, after this. We're going to hit our first break of the show. We'll be right back. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Welcome into the Bear Report Podcast. As I mentioned earlier, this is Zach Pearson, your host, and I'm joined as, not as always, I'm sorry, I'm joined by Andrew Freeman this time. Aaron Lemming is not here uh, for the show, but Andrew, you know how me and Aaron probably pretty much do this is every episode has to have some quarterback talk i mean of course it's it, it's it's just the biggest storyline and it's going to continue to be the biggest storyline until matt Nagy names his starter and even then it's going to be a big storyline because whoever the starter is going to be i feel like it's going to be on a little bit of a shorter leash than, than than normal and as we sit here on tuesday the first seven or so practices have wrapped up and I thought Tuesday was probably the worst practice between the two quarterbacks combined. And this is like my biggest fear. And I think worst case scenario for the bears is that neither Nick Foles nor Mitchell Trubisky have really taken a hold of this quarterback battle and kind of separated themselves from the other. Instead, it's still very tight. And I think now, you know, after day seven, I think the pendulum could swing either direction. I I'm still 50, 50 last week. 
after practice one, I thought it was Foles, and then Trubisky came out and won the next three days. And then Saturday, I thought Foles was better. Um, I know there's a couple other reporters that had Foles and a couple others that had um, uh, Trubisky winning the job. So I think it's kind of at even now. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think this is kind of worst-case scenario for what's been playing out. Yeah, ideally, you'd like someone to establish themselves at this point. I mean, obviously, we're still early on in this shortened training camp, as you would call it. Um, it's really not even a tramp. It's really a really condensed version of it. And, you know, they've only had, what, about a week of practice actually on the field going in 11-on-11s, 7-on-7s, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you'd hope that over at least – I'd say right now, my worry level, my my area of concern right now is not very high at this point. But if we're still seeing this same thing where it's no one's separating themselves over this next week or so, I think the concern level is going to be a, a bit higher because, you know, the one thing I, I saw Nagy say uh, today, earlier today in this practice on Tuesday was that the biggest problem he was seeing was the quarterbacks, both of them were being too cautious in terms of actually throwing the ball down the field and too many checkdowns during practice. And, you know, you can maybe go into a little bit more detail on this as someone who's actually getting to see these guys go at it live. But, you know, one of the big things for me watching this offense operate over the last two years is, you know, there are actually opportunities for big plays down the field, explosive plays down the field within this offense that, have not been capitalized upon, uh, whether that's due to protection issues, execution drops, or quarterback play, obviously. And um, it's really concerning to hear that both quarterbacks are having problems with this in terms of being too conservative. Um, because one of the things I thought when they brought in Nick Foles was, you know, he'd be able to take more of those shots down the field as someone that has uh, experience in this offense and uh, has, you know, that ability we've seen in the past. Nick Foles can throw a beautiful deep ball and has shown the ability to not be afraid to stand in the pocket, take a hit, and take his chances with his receivers down the field. And um, if that continues to be a trend, then that's going to leave me a little bit concerned because, you know, there is a, a big correlation between explosive plays and offensive success. And that's one of the reasons the Bears have been mediocre to bad, especially last season, obviously on offense over the past few years is they just don't get enough big explosive plays in the passing game. And that's something that will need to change. And that, and that starts with the quarterback position, at least in my mind. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You look at the offenses that are similar and, and where this offensive system kind of came from with Andy Reid in Kansas city and Philadelphia. And those offenses have big plays. Like you have playmakers out there that, that can have, they make those big plays. and with this Bears offense, you you have the playmakers. You just don't really have the quarterback that can make the big plays right now. And it was interesting to hear that comment from Nagy today. In you know observing it from a seven on seven, twelve on twelve standpoint, standpoint, it's it is interesting because you do see a couple deep shots here and there, um, and for the most part, they they for Trubisky they've been kind of inaccurate, which has been kind of the big knock on him. Um, in his career so far, whereas Foles kind of is more accurate. But the thing with Foles is, like, you know, say he'll have 10 deep passes, he's not going eight and nine for 10. You know, he's going 
four for 10, five, six for 10, probably at the most. And when watching them going through these drills, you see, okay, a lot of the, there's a lot of check downs, there's a lot of five to 10 yard routes, which is another frustrating thing last season with Mitchell Trubisky was they just, you know, be third and eight and he'd throw the ball three yards and then and there'd be no room for the receiver running back to get the first down. So yeah, I like to see him open up a little bit more. I don't know if maybe Trubisky knows, Hey, I'm not as accurate deep as Nick Foles and, and I can't beat him in this, this style of competition. If I do that, maybe I'll take the shorter intermediate throws or medium throws to kind of give myself a little bit of an edge. And I don't know if maybe Nick Foles is just kind of playing conservative. I'll say this. I just have not been impressed with either of them. I still see some of the same mistakes from Mitch. I think he's approved a little bit on the footwork and keeping his eyes down the field. Um, he's had a couple bad decisions, but not as much as I'll say it's not as much as last year's training camp where I thought he was pretty bad in training camp. So there is improvement there. Um, but like with Foles, I'm just underwhelmed. I thought he'd come in and just be, you know, the guy that takes control of this and wins a job right away and kind of puts all the pressure on Trubisky. But I mean, he's even had some lame ducks too. He's thrown a couple on the ground. He's had now interceptions on back to back practices, not counting Sunday. Michael Joseph got him, or Eddie Jackson got him on Saturday. And uh, the rookie, Jalen Johnson, got him today. And the one that Jalen Johnson was just – he threw it right to the defensive back who was sitting in that soft zone coverage. It was just was not a good read. And I just – I haven't seen a quarterback catch fire – and not even catch fire. I mean, I, would, I haven't even seen a quarterback get into a rhythm where it's like they're four for five with really good throws. It, it's been more like a couple good throws, and then you'll see a string of bad throws. And, and that just kind of worries me here. And, and I, I'll say – I'll say this as well – I know we talked about it this week. This was a big week for me. I think this is the week that's going to determine the quarterback winner because they're running out of time. And ideally you want one of the guys to grab a hold of it this week. Tuesday was not a good start. Yeah, absolutely. And you hope those things start to get weeded out over time. Uh, especially this week, like you said, this is, this is a critical time right now, but as we're kind of, we're actually, we're ramping up here towards the season. Like they're going to have to make a decision soon on, who is going to be their guy for week one because, you know, next thing you know, after this week, they're going to have to start getting into prep for the, the Lions at some point to get ready to play them in week one at Detroit. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to see, like you said, that progression and uh, we're going to have to see someone separate themselves and actually start to stand out and make some big time throws here because if they don't, uh, it might not look good again for a second year in a row from a quarterback standpoint. You know, I will say, sticking back to uh, the play style issue that we're talking about in terms of not taking those chances down the field, you know, it should be noted, there's nothing, at least in my mind, there's nothing inherently wrong with that conservative death by a thousand cuts type of style of quarterbacking. You know, we've seen Tom Brady and Drew Brees have made a career out of this where they'll just eat defenses alive underneath with their pre-snap recognition and just ability to process the defense and get the ball out of their hands. Um, the worry with me, though, is, you know, for one, when it comes to Trubisky, he hasn't proven that he has been able to do that at a consistent basis in terms of, you know, making the right reads before and after the snap and um, actually making the right, correct throws post-snap in order to make that work. And then, you know, with Nick Foles, he doesn't have that playmaking ability that you like to see from a quarterback, obviously. But uh, the thing with, obviously, you don't want to compare these guys to Tom Brady and Drew Brees, obviously, to the in my mind, 10 greatest quarterbacks to ever play this game. Um, but the difference here is that while they, they play that conservative 
style of ball where they're they're going to be throwing it underneath a bunch and they're going to be looking to, you know, just keep the offense moving on schedule, not take a lot of sacks and try to get the ball out of their hands quickly. You know, when there are plays to be had down the field, more often they're not, than not, they're going to be capitalizing on those plays. And that's just my biggest worry right now is what it sounds like coming out of camp is that we're not seeing, especially when Nagy's voicing his frustrations about it, that he must be obviously seeing this and or believing this to some degree that, you know, there are plays to be had on the field that they're not executing right now. And uh, again, that's the biggest concern for me outside of the fact that, you know, we, we want to see one of these quarterbacks actually take that next step forward. But if we don't start to see more of that case where these guys are actually attacking down the field as is designed within this offense, um, that's concerning to me because if you're not able to consistently be able to be a chain mover on offense as a quarterback underneath and be consistent in that regard. Um, yeah, you got to have that deep element, deep ball element to have defenses respect what you're doing. And uh, that is worrisome if that doesn't improve quickly. Yeah. And I will say this, I hope one of them does take control of this soon because it's like my mentions have just been a nightmare I mean, I appreciate everyone like interacting with me, but every time I say who wins the quarterback, who's winning the day of the quarterback battle, it's like I'll say Mitchell Trubisky will win, and then I'll have people that like are defending Nick Foles, and then I'll say Nick Foles won the day, and I'll have people defending Mitchell Trubisky, and like today I was like I couldn't really pick a winner because they were both bad, and people were just I don't know for certain, whatever reason I think people want to think that the media is just making up the storylines and, and they want you know a certain player to win the job. That's not the case. I just want a good quarterback in Chicago to run an offense that I think, you know, has potential. And on the opposite side of the football, I don't want them to waste a really good defense. So I just, I just, I hope someone takes control of it. And the other interesting aspect to this whole thing as well is, you know, we're out there watching this, but there's also some other stuff going on behind the scenes. I mean, the whole race in quarterback competition here is not going to be judged on just the play on the field. It's going to be judged on a lot of things. They're going to go back, look at the film. They evaluate the film every single day after practice. They're going to look at body language. Does the guy have command of the huddle? Things like that. So there's other intangibles that are really going to decide this quarterback battle. Um, And before we wrap up the quarterback talk, I just want to kind of get your thought on this. So if I were to ask you from everything you've heard at training camp right now and everything you saw last year in this offseason, if, if you'd give me a pick, who's going to be the starting quarterback week one, who would you say and why? Yeah, it's a tough question because, you know, when you got two guys that are seem to be so similar in terms of their level of play right now, um, it's really a 50-50 decision here, but when you take into also to, into the account that, you know, Mitch Trubisky, he's the younger quarterback. They obviously, Ryan Pace and the Bears, they invested so much in training up to get him. I think at this point, if it remains similar at, to at what it is right now, where neither of these guys are really uh, separating from each other at this point, I think you have to go with Trubisky to start week one and uh, take a chance with the young guy. Uh, because like I said, obviously Trubisky, the Bears have, put so much investment into him being the franchise quarterback. You got to give him at least one more chance, I'd say, unless Nick Foles really starts to uh, come into his own over the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, you got to give Trubisky that one last shot to prove that, you know, he can be the guy. I don't know if he can prove to be the guy at this point. I think that ship has sailed 
But um, again, you got to give him at least one more chance. I'd say if it's close, if Nick Foles is clearly outperforming him in practice, you have to go with Nick Foles. But as it stands right now, I think you have to go with Trubisky to start off. And the other thing here as well is that Nick Foles, when you look at his track record throughout his career, he has been at his best when as the backup. So it's a lot easier, I think, to start off with Trubisky um, because you know that Nick Foles, he's going to be, from, from a mental standpoint, a confidence standpoint, he's going to be fine regardless of whether he's the guy starting right away or whether he's the backup right away. I'm not sure that's the case with Trubisky. I think if you bench Trubisky right away and you have Nick Foles be the starter in week one, it's going to be tough once Nick Foles uh, starts to struggle throughout the year to go back to Trubisky and ask him to pull a rabbit out of his hat and uh, be something that he hasn't been throughout his career so far with the Bears. Whereas I think Nick Foles, he's very comfortable and he's been at his best where he can be that relief pitcher. He can come in midway through the season and, you know, kind of provide a spark to the offense. And we know that obviously with his relationship with Nagy and some of the other coaches on this coaching staff here that they're going to be able to trust that they can design an offense around him to be somewhat productive. I think Nick Foles with him at quarterback, you have a higher floor, but you know, if there's any chance that you can reach that higher ceiling that Mitch Trubisky potentially has, you know, if it's close as of right now, then I think you have to go Trubisky and kind of see how it goes early on. They have a pretty easy schedule in terms of the start of the year, in terms of the pass defenses that they're going up against, which will kind of help there. But uh, at this point, yeah, I, I, can, I can only go over this, you know, so many times. But, you know, I, I think right now I'd probably go with Trubisky, but I'd be keeping it in, my, in the back of my mind if I'm nagging that if things start to go wrong here, I will have to make the change to uh, Foles rather quickly if things don't start off the way they should be going for this offense early in the season. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if Trubisky doesn't win the job, I think it's going to be a big boost to his, or a big hit to his confidence. And it might be tough for him to recover, you know, if he's not the week one starter and Foles comes out and struggles. That's another worst case scenario for the Bears. Uh, let's move on from the quarterback talk, though. We're going to hit up some more competition talk. We'll do that right after the break. Welcome back in here to the Bear Report podcast. So, Andrew, I want to talk a little bit about the other competitions. And I think one that was kind of shocking when, you know, camp fully got going last week, we talked on the last episode, was that Deion Bush appears to be in the lead for the starting strong safety spot, um, you know, over Tayshawn Gibson. And I thought when they signed Gibson, he was pretty much a lock to go in and be the starting strong safety. I think there's still a chance he can be. But as of right now, as we sit here on uh, Tuesday, August 25th, it sounds like Deion Bush might have the lead here for this job. Were you surprised by that at all? Uh, very surprised. Very surprised. I thought when they brought in Tayshawn Gibson that he was going to be the guy for them because you know, I've, I've been, always been a big fan of Gibson, even going back to his days in Cleveland. I always thought he had, that he's a very talented player, a very good playmaker, uh, especially when he's in coverage, playing that deep middle of the field zone there. Uh, and I thought he had a, actually had a pretty good year last season with Texas. So I think this has a lot to do with, you know, obviously you can attest to this as someone that's been at camp and has got to see these two guys go after it on the field. But um, I think a lot of it has to be said that Deion Bush is probably taking this more than Tayshawn Gibson is losing this competition um, or that rather that Deion Bush is impressing more than uh, Gibson is, you know, 
being unimpressive as a player, I, I should say. Um, and that's nothing but a good sign, I think, because if you have a quality competition like that between a guy like Gibson who has a lot of experience as a starter in the NFL and then with a guy like Bush who, you know, when he was drafted coming out of Miami, a lot of it was said that in the pre-draft scouting reports that this is a guy that had a lot of talents, a guy that was a hard hitter in the box, very good athlete, and we haven't really seen him produce on the field other than a couple of short instances where he came in due to injury. Um, but if he can actually be that solid presence at that strong safety position, because I, I, that could be a very good thing for the Bears in many ways, because one, I think he complements just based off of his play style, Eddie Jackson very well as more of a, I wouldn't say a true box safety, but he can play more of that in the box role that uh, Eddie Jackson maybe isn't best accustomed to playing um, in order to maximize his ability. But you also have this interesting dynamic, I think, where Pagano can get a little bit creative with the way he uses his defensive backs where he can maybe have all three of these guys on the field because Gibson's a very good cover safety. Uh, Deion Bush, I think, works very well when he's only asked to kind of play in those short to intermediate zones and kind of just uh, fly all, all over the field downhill. And that could be something that could be very intriguing for this defense and just give them another wrinkle to kind of confuse offenses this season because you know they're going to have the pass rush once they get Mack and Quinn really revved up here. It sounds like they've been kind of uh, cautious in terms of giving those guys too many reps so far in practice, which I, I'm completely fine with. Get those guys healthy for week one. That's all I care about at this point. But, uh, yeah, I'm very surprised to kind of uh, wrap this up here <laughs> on this standpoint. Uh, I'm very surprised to hear that Bush is kind of taking the hold here as the number one safety in this competition. But I think that's nothing but a good thing at this point. Yeah, I was a little shocked as well. And I will say this, you know, watching Deion Bush, he is performing pretty well in camp. He looks like a new player out there. He looks like he really improved his game this offseason and worked on the things that he really needed to work on. I don't think he's a, essentially a true good box, uh, complete strong safety, but I don't, also don't think he has to be. I think that this defense is good enough where, you know, if Deion Bush is, let's say, um, you're, you're, you know, 10th or 11th best player on that defense, um, you know, that that's fine because of the talent. It's kind of like the Bryce Callahan situation, the Adrian Amos situation a couple of years ago. Bush, you know, has looked pretty good, and I'm a little shocked that he, he has held on to the job. And I don't know if that's a testament to more of him being better and working on what he needs to be better on in the offseason or if just Gibson has just really struggled to fit in with this defense. But – I mean, there's still a couple of weeks left. I think, you know, things can change, but I think we're heading to a week one lineup where we're going to see Deion Bush opposite of Eddie Jackson. The other competition in the, in the defensive back um, area is for defensive back number two, starting opposite of Kyle Fuller. Artie Burns is lost for the season. That's a death beast gone. Uh, Trey Roberson was injured during the off season and is not really anywhere close to returning. So that leaves Kevin Tolliver and uh, Jalen Johnson as the lone two, or so we thought. Um, Buster Screen, the veteran nickel corner, is also getting some reps on the outside uh, with the first team, which was an interesting note I had for the past week now. It's been happening for a couple of practices. He talked about it on Tuesday, and he said pretty much, you know, I did play 
outside corner um, in my first couple of years. And, you know, three straight years, I was top three in passes defensed. And it's, it's really nothing to me. I can, I can still play it if they need me to. I was just kind of moved inside of the slot because the Jets signed a couple um, defensive backs while he was there. So it'll be interesting. I think they might go with screen. I'm, I'm, as the days go on, I'm kind of talking myself into more believing they'd go with screen um, essentially as that starting defensive back opposite of Kyle Fuller. Now, I think that experiment doesn't really last very long because I think it's going to be Jalen Johnson's going to eventually take over the job. Uh, he's, he's kind of, you know, had that little setback with the shoulder during camp and they've been easing him in. But over the last couple of days, you know, Johnson's been out there a lot more and has been getting a couple more reps um, with, with the first team, as has Kevin Tolliver. Where do you stand with this competition? Who do you think is going to be the starter week one? Yeah, this is this is a an interesting one. I think a lot of this has to do with one. It has to be said that screen. You know, he's a seasoned veteran, and you talk about the experience of being both an outside guy and playing in the slot. You know, I think screen's a guy that surprised a lot of Bears fans last season with how well he played. And you know, if he were to be the starter in Week One on the outside, I personally wouldn't have an issue with it. I think he can play. Um, at least, you know, for the first couple of weeks of the season, I think you can get by with him on the outside and be pretty well at that spot. My only question would be, you know, how this would impact the slot corner position there because they got some guys. I know Sheriff McManus has played a little bit of nickelback in the past for this team over the past couple seasons uh, when they've had some injuries there. And obviously you have Duke Shelley and Kendall Vildor that, you know, that have been drafted over the past couple seasons to play in that slot role. My only question then would be how that impacts, you know, when they go to nickel, does screen go back to the inside and they bring in a guy like Kevin Tolliver or Jalen Johnson to play on the outside, or do they go with one of those other young guys in, in Vildor or, or Duke Shelley there? Um, that's something that I'm really intrigued by because if one of those two guys can step up, I mean, that could be, again, you can never have too much depth at cornerback because uh, with the way that the league is spread out right now, you need, with all these wide receivers, you need some guys that can cover out there. And having that depth there is very important, which is, you know, a big reason why, you know, it just is a bummer that uh, Artie Burns and Trey Roberson were just not able to, you know, stay healthy at this point. You know, training camp injuries are always tough and uh, you never want to see a guy go down when, you know, there haven't been any games played yet. So, those are tough, tough ones to kind of deal with. But, you know, I think eventually, I, I think to start week one, I think we're going to see Screen be the outside guy. But like you said, I expect Jalen Johnson to, whether it be, I wouldn't be surprised if it was within the first couple of weeks of the season where he takes over that outside starting position because he is just the perfect corner for this defense and what they want to do here, especially with, you know, Kyle Fuller. He's more that guy that likes to play off coverage and and bait quarterbacks into bad decisions on that side of the field whereas Jalen Johnson he's a perfect press corner I almost that ideal Prince of Mukamura uh, replacement so you know I I think Jalen Johnson once they get him going here it sounds like they've been pretty cautious cautious with a shoulder injury and trying to bring him along slowly as a rookie which you know again it's tough with a shortened training camp you know getting these rookies ready to go for the season I mean, I think with a normal training camp, I think it wouldn't be a question whether Jalen Johnson would be the starting cornerback in week one. But because of the circumstances, 
you know, I, I think Screen's going to be the guy. But, again, I, I think Jalen Johnson is fully going to establish himself as a starting caliber corner for this team and, and take over that role early on, you know, earlier rather than later. Yeah, maybe they go with Screen as just kind of a safety net as they ease um... – as they ease Johnson in, but yeah, that would leave kind of a question mark because I don't know if Duke Shelley's ready to move into that full starting uh, slot uh, defensive back position. And I, I know Kendall Vilder isn't as well. The other really big position battle um, on the offense, you know, right guard is pretty much going to be Jermaine Effetti. He looks like he's going to win that job and has been receiving most of the reps with the first team, but the wide receivers, you know, outside of Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller is your top two. You have Ted Ginn and Darnell Mooney who are pretty much roster locks. It'll be interesting to see if they do keep the extra receiver, you know, because Cordero Patterson is going to have more of a role at, at running back, but now a new wrinkle. I mean, the bears might keep two kickers. <laughs> so if they do keep Cairo Santos during the season, that might come at the expense of a wide receiver. But, you know, that, that battle I'm referring to is Riley Ridley and Javon Wims, former Georgia teammates. Uh, they're kind of fighting for one of those last spots on the receiving core. And going into this training camp, I thought Wims was on the outside looking in. And through the first week, to be honest, I haven't seen really much from either of them that have really stood out to me. I think Wims had a better day on Saturday and had a good day today. Ridley's made a couple of good plays out there, but I thought this was going to be one of the better camp battles to watch. And for me so far, it's been a little bit of a struggle from the two. And, and I hope, you know, I, I know we're talking about a, a number four, number five wide receiver on the roster, but they, you know, invested a draft capital into Riley Ridley. They have the seventh rounder in Javon Williams. You'd like to at least see one of those guys pan out. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing that we're talking about, again, we're talking about lower on the roster depth chart type of positions here, but um, it's not like a, uh, a situation where we're talking about guys that were expected to be big parts of the offense this season when it comes to uh, Ridley and Wims. But, yeah, you know, it was interesting to hear Mike Fury before the season, the wide receiver coach, mentioned that he was really excited about Riley Ridley's development going into this season. And that was one guy that I was hoping to hear a lot of good things out of what was Ridley uh, to see whether he's really gotten it going uh, in his second season, because he was a guy that I thought was a, you know, a steal for the bears in the fourth round uh, in that draft. Um, And he's a guy that he's not the most explosive athlete in the world. And that's why they traded up for Darnell Mooney this past, in this past draft. And you kind of give them that speed element, but He's a very refined route runner, you know, going back to his days in Georgia, and uh, the limited time that we got to see him last season get on the field. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they just keep all six wide receivers because, you know, you bring up the kicker thing, which is a wrinkle in and of itself. Um, I would be surprised uh, whether they, even if they, whether they would keep two kickers on the actual 53-man roster. I, I would assume that they keep one of those guys. Uh, probably it would be Cairo Santos at this point, you know, on the, on the practice squad. Because to me, you know, from a roster management standpoint, it just it doesn't make much sense to me personally to have two kickers on the roster when uh, you can keep somebody else, like an offensive lineman or a wide receiver. Um, so – I, I would assume at this point with Cardell Patterson, I, I guess being a full-time running back now is, is that that's what it sounds like at this point, um, that they'll keep all six. 
But it'll be interesting because Wims, I, I've been a fan of his since he's been drafted by the Bears. I think he's shown uh, some flashes throughout. Um, when he was on the field last season, didn't really impress as much as I'd like to see. But uh, I think in this case, it wouldn't surprise me if they go with Ridley here just because of the draft status and the fact that he's a year younger. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out there. Yeah, and that's another battle to watch coming down the wire. And, hey, you know, you and I, we both could be wrong. We both could – they could keep both, actually, wide receivers and and see what they got and maybe give Wims another chance throughout the year. Before we wrap things up, though, I want to talk about a position that's getting a lot of hype here so far at training camp. Before we do that, though, we're going to have a final break of the show. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back in here to the Bearport Podcast. Before we wrap things up, I want to talk about a position, Andrew, that – it's kind of been a big surprise for the first week. And, you know, it was also a position that didn't really produce much last season. Um, so it's, it's not really hard to up their production going into 2020. But myself and a lot of others have been pleasantly surprised what the Bears have at tight end right now in Cole Komet, um, Jimmy Graham, Demetrius Harris, you guys like Eric Saubert are making plays out there. Uh, Jesper Horstead is out there playing very well. And it was a big surprise because I know a lot of people weren't a fan of the Jimmy Graham signing due to the money and how much money they gave him, who was Ryan Pace bidding against. But I think if utilized right, Graham could have a big role in this offense. And so far, he's been one of the big standouts for me in training camp. And his ability to be a big-bodied receiver with that basketball background is really going to help this offense. He's going to be your primary pass-catching tight end. If you're going to look at Cole Komet, he's going to be kind of your hybrid tight end. You know, when, when Graham's in the game, Komet will be the blocking tight end. When Harris is in the game, uh, Graham will be the receiving tight end. And the Bears are going to use a lot more 12 personnel in my eyes this season. And then you look at Harris, he's another big target as well that's going to be very good in run blocking and pass protection when needed. I've been very impressed so far with this group, and it's been a big surprise. How important is it for you that, that this tight end position not only is better than last year, but maybe takes a big step forward? Because let's be honest, it's, it's not going to be hard to be better than what they were last year. <laughs> no, the, the bar is certainly as low as it can get based off of uh, last season's performance from the tight end group. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's very important. We've seen a trend in the NFL that 12 personnel is, is becoming a, a big deal for some of these offenses, uh, some of these more successful offenses, I should say. Uh, the Chiefs, even though they have a, a bunch of wide receiver talent, they love to run 12 personnel. And uh, obviously the Eagles with Goddard and Ertz, I mean, that's a great one-two match uh, combo for them in Philadelphia with their tight end situation. And I think Nagy is trying to, has been trying to bring that element to the Bears ever since he got hired to be the head coach here, and it just hasn't worked out so far. I thought Trey Burton in 2018 showed a lot of good things for them. Obviously, injuries just completely messed up that. Um, but, yeah, I, it's it's really encouraging to hear some of, the, some of these signs coming from camp that these guys are dominating out there because, you know, we've seen that Mitch Trubisky just wasn't – I wouldn't say not the same quarterback – uh, last season, but it, you could tell that not having that reliable uh, tight end pass catching presence in the middle of the field really hurt him last season because that was something, especially early on, I thought in 2018, that uh, Trey Burton seemed like a guy that every other game uh, early on in the season, he was 
making a big play on third down. And we just did not get that in 2019. We didn't see that whatsoever. So having that guy and uh, to be that, having that guy at that tight end position to be that chain mover in the middle of the field, be a, a, a nice little drop-off point for the quarterback, a safety blanket, uh, so to speak, and especially in the red zone because we've seen the Bears have a really tough time uh, scoring when they get in the red zone over the past couple of years, especially the running game. They haven't been able to get the running game going in that aspect. And, you know, that's where you have those, these tight ends that are big, tall, physical, athletic, guys like Jimmy Graham with his catch radius, Cole Komet, he's a big guy. Eris, he's a very tall, athletic player as well. That's really where you're going to see the advantage of having that type of personnel at that tight end position come into play when the when the the field shrinks a little bit. There's not as much space to work with. Uh, having those big targets in the red zone are going to be very key uh, for the Bears. I think this upcoming season because they got they got to get better at scoring touchdowns. Obviously, you know, getting inside the red zone is one thing in and of itself. But when they get in the red zone, they have to be able to execute and get in the end zone and score touchdowns. Um, that was something that, that was very inconsistent last year. We saw, you know, especially with the Chargers game, for instance, you know, what, they had like four chances to score a touchdown in the first half, three or four chances, yeah. and uh, weren't able to, you know, weren't able to execute on any of them, weren't, weren't able to be successful there. And, um, and that's where a guy like Jimmy Graham, who, you know, I'm very surprised to hear that Jimmy Graham is having the type of impact already that we're seeing out in the field. And even with Cole Komet too, I thought, you know, when you look at tight ends in the way they operate usually as rookies, it takes a while for these guys to uh, adjust to the NFL. And it's really encouraging to hear that. It seems like he's already way ahead of the curve at this point, because we've seen guys like, you know, even going back to last year, uh, TJ Hawkinson, a guy who's considered quite possibly the best tight end prospect in, you know, about a decade or so. Even, even he had a slow start to his NFL career as a rookie. And, uh, if Cole Komet can exceed even that type of production as a rookie, that's going to go a long way for this offense, I think. And very encouraging stuff. And I, I'm really hoping they can keep that going. It sounds like they're keeping Jimmy Graham out of practices the last couple of days. I wonder if you have any insight on that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just doing that, though, to keep him fresh and uh, because he's up there in age, just to make sure he's ready for week one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's exactly pretty much what it is. It's Saturday, he didn't really play in the scrimmage. It was a vet rest day. Sunday was a walkthrough. He was out there for most of the practice today. So I think they're just going to kind of give him a day or two, you know, every week to kind of just rest a little bit. And, and you're right. I mean, to have that big-bodied receiver in Jimmy Graham, a guy with a basketball background that can go up and get the ball, is huge for this offense. And I mean, he's been flat-out dominating the one-on-ones in the red zone. He's just such a big target for the quarterbacks to throw to it's just it's almost like he makes it look easy and then having Komet stand out and Harris having a good camp I really like where the Bears are going with the tight end positions at least so far through training camp and like I said I mean it's not really hard to up that production and get better production just because they were so bad last season but I think it's a positive right now that they are a standout at camp and you know not only just catching the ball, but maybe blocking as well. That's a big aspect of it because the offensive line is going to need some help in, in, in that situation. And at least today I saw a couple of good, you know, seals of the edge from the tight ends, getting those guys inside so that the runs can go outside. I really like what I'm seeing from this tight end position. Let's just hope it continues into the regular season. Andrew, yeah. I think that's going to yeah, do well, – Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, yeah. I, the one encouraging thing for me, though, is you, you talked about the talent at the top of the depth chart, you know, just with Graham, Komet, and, and Harris. It sounds like we're getting some good production out of the, the lower on the depth chart guys as well. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah. Eric Sauberts had a yeah. nice camp. Jesper, Jesper Horstead's had a nice camp. Um, it, that's even more encouraging because it's guys like that, too, that – you know, they're there to compete and maybe earn a roster spot and see if they can get some special teams reps as well. So I am very encouraged, though, with with what I've seen from the tight end position. Um, yeah, I think that'll wrap things up for this show, Andrew. Um, where can everyone follow you on Twitter at? Yeah, you can follow me at AJ Freeman 25 It's a capital A, lowercase j, capital F. Uh, you can follow me there. I recommend you all do that. He tweets out some good stuff. He's a, he's a really good writer. Check out his stuff on the uh, homepage and uh, listen to the Picks for Pace podcast. Cover all your 2021 NFL draft needs. And believe it or not, there is going to be some college football. So you'll definitely want to check out that podcast. You can follow the Bear Report on, on Twitter at Bear Report. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach, Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. Until next week, we'll be back with a brand new episode. Everyone, please stay safe out there. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.